Hello, readers. My name is Jason Jeffries, and this is a bookin brought to you by Explore Booksellers, Aspen, Colorado's trusted community bookstore. Wherever you are in the world, it is always good to explore. My guest today is David Minconi. He is the 2019 North Carolina Piedmont Laureate and was a staff writer at the Raleigh News and Observer for 28 years. He has written for Rolling Stone, Billboard, Spin, and the New York Times. His new book is Oh Didn't They Ramble, Rounder Records and the Transformation of American Roots Music, which is published by our friends at the University of North Carolina Press. David, welcome to the program. Happy to be here. Thank you. Yeah, it's an honor to have you here uh, again. And first, listeners, David and I were neighbors for many years in North Carolina before I moved to Colorado, and we did many wonderful events together. Uh, David, how's the neighborhood been since we left? How's Raleigh? Uh, Raleigh, you'd hardly recognize it. It's just, you know, they're throwing up huge buildings left and right. It's it's kind of nuts. But uh, neighborhood is still the neighborhood. Yeah, so we miss you. Oh, we miss you too. Thanks, David. Um, IBMA was in Raleigh this past weekend. Am I to understand that they are leaving Raleigh? And if so, why? It seems like the city has been a wonderful host for the event. Well, it has. And uh, I think they're making a mistake. Um, Their deal runs out after next year's event. And uh, my understanding is they could not agree on the money Mm. part of it beyond that so ibma is going in search of greener pastures good luck to them uh i have a real hard time imagining them doing as well anywhere else but uh there you go i guess we'll find out we'll miss them there's talk of another americana type music festival that same time happening here uh after the bluegrass festival's gone yeah, that's that's terrible. Seems like a terrible idea to me too. I'd I'd reach out and try to recruit them to Aspen, but I don't think bluegrass musicians are trying to spend three thousand dollars for a hotel room. So, um, <laughs> we'll not we'll not try to go that road. But um, a natural transition, I believe, from IBMA and Wide Open Bluegrass to your new book, Oh Didn't They Ramble, which is one of the best books about music I've ever read. And I read a lot of books about music. Um, first, David, can you draw a line between? Wide Open Bluegrass and IBMA and the Union Grove Old Time Fiddlers Convention? Yeah, North Carolina was a very key part in the whole rounder story, even though the principles came from Massachusetts and it was based there for many years. Um, now it's in uh, Nashville as part of the Concord Music Group. But um, the uh, rounder trio of Ken Irwin, Bill Nolan, and Marion Leighton Levy uh, were college students in the 1960s and they spent a lot of years vagabonding around the folk festivals including Union Grove that was really the first one down here they came to and uh they had a sort of documentary mindset they were liberal arts majors and they run across a lot of acts that they felt could be recorded and uh, nobody else was doing it so they decided to do it themselves Mm. and uh it started as sort of a chaotic quest and somehow caught on and rounder is still going half a century plus later it started in 1970 and they put out between three and four thousand albums which is more than one a week for that span of time and uh 
the uh, IBMA here in Raleigh, they have a Hall of Fame, a Bluegrass Hall of Fame, mm-hmm. that they induct uh, performers and artists into every year. And back in 2016, they inducted the three founders of Rounder into their Hall of Fame. Very unusual for non-musicians to uh, go into the Bluegrass Hall of Fame, but their impact was substantial. They just put out a huge amount of music from the Bluegrass canon over the years. Yeah, absolutely. And David, um, to give our listeners some more perspective of what we are talking about here, our listeners who either don't know Rounder Records or think they don't know Rounder Records, what are the top five most popular releases from Rounder Records? And what are your some of your uh, favorite releases that aren't the most popular ones? Uh, it'd probably be five albums by Alison Krauss, including yeah. the two she did with uh, Robert Plant. Um, mm-hmm. She was a huge pop star in the 90s still quite popular now but uh she was selling two and three million copies at a pop Mm. at her peak in the mid to late 90s um so that's the biggest corner of it not far behind would be george thorogood Mm. the uh, blues rock guy from delaware who uh, was sort of an outlier um they were still doing acoustic music and mostly fiddle and banjo type stuff when he came along in the mid 1970s and uh, they liked him personally. They liked the music. And even though it wasn't really a fit with what they were doing, they took him on and it turned out to be unexpectedly popular. So that would be the, the biggest commercial successes. Uh, some of the artistic successes, Norman Blake, um, he put out some very key records in the 1970s, uh, kind of bluegrass and folk music's new direction. He played with uh, Bob Dylan and Johnny Cash, people like that. And nobody knew what a great songwriter he was until he started making records himself. Mm-hmm. Back Home in Sulphur Springs was his big signpost. And uh, J.D. Crow and the New South, too, a, a bluegrass supergroup in the 1970s, kind of pointed the way toward what became newgrass and band music. And uh, I like all of those records. There's another record I like in a different way, mm. and it's called Hollerin, and it came out in 1976. It is a compilation of rural field hollers of the sort you hear out in the country where people would communicate uh, a farm or two over just by yelling really loud. There's a mm. holler contest in Spivey's Corner, North Carolina, that happens, and that's where they got the uh, inspiration to do this record. Uh, it's fascinating folklore. I'm glad it exists. And yet I have never been able to make it all the way through it. Um, <laughs> it's honestly kind of unlistenable, not <laughs> something you fire up at the end of a hard day to unwind, but uh, really interesting that it exists. And they did a ethnomusicological uh, duty by putting it out, I would say. Yeah, absolutely. Hollerin definitely uh, piqued my interest as I was uh, reading through this book. Um, speaking of Robert Plant and Alison Krauss, Robert Plant, frontman for Led Zeppelin, musical partner of Alison Krauss, wrote the introduction to this book. Uh, I've met Robert before. He's a fantastic man, a gentleman for sure. Um, how did you land him to write the intro to this book and what is his connection uh, to Rounder Records? Well, he's one of the most knowledgeable people about music in general, but especially vernacular American music uh, that you can find. Um, people who worked at Rounder when he was uh, recording for them with Alison Krauss uh, would tell stories about how he was just impossible to stump. Any record or artist you named, he could quote you chapter and verse about it. He really knew the stuff. 
backwards and forwards. So uh, when it came time to kind of package and present this book, there was a lot of talk about jacket blurbs. Mm-hmm. And we got uh, George Thurgood and Alison Krauss both to do blurbs and uh, Patterson Hood from Drive-By Truckers, Danny Goldberg, a famous label executive who, who worked with Nirvana. Mm-hmm. And uh, Robert Plant started out as jacket blurb subject, and uh, he came back with a lovely little tone poem. There was just enough heft to it to justify putting it between covers as the foreword. Uh, it was the publisher's idea, and uh, when they proposed it, it was like, yeah, sure, make it so. Um, I was shocked and pleasantly surprised that uh, he said yes, and his organization went along with it. So. Hats off to Robert Plant. He really did me a solid. Mm-hmm. Having his name on the cover of my book is definite market list material. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I've told this story before on this podcast. I'll tell a short version of it. But he came into Borders in San Francisco when I worked there. Um, when he was touring with Alison Krauss for the first album they did together, they were playing the Hardly Strictly Bluegrass Festival in Golden Gate Park. And he was looking for a specific pen um that we carried in our stationary section which I found for him and then um I asked him how the festival was and he said oh it was wonderful by the second song there was so much marijuana smoke in the air I had to get my publicist to go get me a sandwich um which was cool but uh good for him that's a great album the second album is fantastic as well listeners if you haven't heard it I recommend checking that out um David, when Rounder Records came onto the scene uh, during or following the revivalist folk boom, uh, music and politics were tied closely together, especially in this genre. Uh, What was the impetus of this connection? And do you feel like anyone is taking similar political stances with their music? And I guess I should say their popular music in 2023. Um, Yeah, when Rounder started out, it was kind of in the shadow of the civil rights movement. Um, all the big landmark legislation had happened. Um, there'd been the freedom rides and everything. And uh, all three of them were very steeped in movement politics at that time. They'd frequently go to anti-war protests and marches and whatnot. And it was just kind of part of what they did and who they were. And the surprising thing about that is two of them grew up very conservative. Uh, Bill Nolan in particular described himself as a Goldwater Republican back at that time. So uh, he went off to college and had his world changed and his mindset rocked, I guess you'd say. Uh, did a lot of traveling, met a lot of people, and the, the music played a part in that too. So by the time they got, were getting rounder off the ground in 1970, they were fully invested in that movement. Um, it was a uh, printing press that did a lot of work with leftist causes that shared uh, space in their first headquarters, which was their apartment in Massachusetts. Hmm. Uh, so, yeah, they were part and parcel of the whole thing. And, you know, they've, they've certainly maintained a progressive mindset over the years. Rounders become a lot more of a conventional business. Uh, they started out declaring themselves to be an anti-profit collective. And, uh, you know, that's a really noble goal to have, aspirational, but the reality of living in a capitalistic society is you do have to kind of change some things, and they did. Uh, mm-hmm. They, you know, came a lot more like other record companies, and it's just mm-hmm. kind of what happens. Um, and 
you know, today, I'm not sure I could point to record companies or businesses with uh, the sort of uh, progressive mindset there, but boy, howdy, there's a real movement afoot uh, in the Americana sector uh, with uh, towards left-leaning progressive causes. You've got Bluegrass Pride. Um, a lot of the female artists are quite active in uh, various protests and whatnot, uh, especially in the wake of Roe v. Wade being heard last year. But uh, yeah, at um, Bluegrass Festival in Raleigh last week, uh, Bluegrass Pride was, again, a big part of it. They do a showcase every year and they've got a booth and uh, a big consciousness raising thing. Yeah, wonderful. Thank you so much, David. Um, building off of that answer a little bit, do you think it is possible to start a record label as a labor of love as Rounder did and make a living off of it in 2023? How has the scene for endeavors such as theirs changed between then and now? Well, it's kind of like everything else. There's less and less of a middle class in the music industry. Um, it used to be possible or more possible, I should say, to lead a middle class lifestyle uh, as a professional musician. That's gotten a lot harder. Um, if you're Beyonce or Taylor Swift, you've never done better. Uh, so, you know, the, the gap between haves and have-nots is an absolute chasm right now. And the 1% are cleaning up and everybody else is fighting over table scrap. And it's kind of the same way on the business side of it, too. The major labels have never done better uh, with streaming. That's way down on their overhead, not having to manufacture pieces of plastic and ship them around and have pressing plants and everything. You know, there's costs associated with music online and streaming and everything, but uh, it's nowhere near what it used to cost mm -hmm. to uh, manufacture all that. So it's possible, I guess, but um, man, that, that sweet spot is more elusive than ever. And, uh, yeah. It's just an ocean of content out there and really hard to stand out, get any traction. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for that answer, David. Listeners, we are going to pause here for a word from our sponsors, and then I will be right back with David Minconi. The Book and Podcast would like to thank Libro.fm Audiobooks for their sponsorship. Libro.fm has the same audiobooks at the same prices as their major competitor. You know the name. But instead of supporting the Big River, you'll be supporting your favorite neighborhood bookstores. Please head on over to Libro.fm and enter the promo code BOOKIN, that's B-O-O-K-I-N, in the promo code space to get one free audiobook and support your favorite local independent bookstore, explore booksellers in the process. I'm back with David Minconi, author of Oh, Didn't They Ramble, which is published by our friends at the University of North Carolina Press. David, I want to reference the photo of Joan Baez towards the beginning of your book. It's on page 14 of my copy, which is an advanced reading copy. I don't know if it's the same on the finished copy, but I couldn't help but notice the way the crowd was dressed in this photo. All of the men are wearing nice jackets, etc. Uh, was this how concert goers dressed to go to a show at Club 47 in 1959? You don't really see that nowadays. And uh, it was. I mean, it's funny. 
when I grew up in the 1960s mm. uh, and early 70s, uh, I was in Texas, but I remember we would like get dressed up to travel on a plane or go to a movie. I, I think society in general was just a little more dressy than it is now. Mm. But uh, yeah, it's funny to see concert crowds back then decked out in that way. Yeah, absolutely. It's a great photo as well. Um, David, as a bookstore manager and a fan of 19th century Russian literature, uh, how did Marion Layton translate a love of Russian literature into a record label gig? Is there a connection there? Wow. Um, you know, well, and keep in mind, too, uh, Bill Nolan also did his uh, PhD on Alexander Berkman, Russian yeah. anarchist. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, Russia is all over the uh, early days of Rounder Records. Right. I think that just contributed to their overall mindset, uh, kind of away from contemporary capitalistic thought mm -hmm. uh, towards something a little more idealistic and a little more people-centered. Um, you know, you can certainly argue that Russia didn't turn out that way, but uh, early on, the dream was kind of like that. And, mm. uh, you know, they did what they could, the rounders did, to try to bring that to, to the mainstream. Yeah, for sure. Um, another literary question here. Uh, Marion Layton met Ken Irwin. Uh, when she met him, she approached him in a coffee shop as he was reading a book about the blues. Um, she says if he had been reading James Michener or something, she wouldn't have bothered. Um, I highlighted this passage because James Michener seems to be having uh, a moment now where he's um, coming back into fashion a bit, at least here in Colorado with his book Centennial uh, and such. Uh, I suspect if one were spotted reading one of his novels now, it would not be so uh, taboo. Michener did win a Pulitzer Prize, I believe. My question, David, is what is the 2023 equivalent of being spotted reading a James Michener book in a cafe in the early sixties. <laughs> wow. Um, I don't know. Nicholas Sparks, maybe <laughs> I, 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 I hate to crack on any, any of my uh, fellow yeah. authors out there, mm -hmm. yeah. but, um, but yeah. Um, Marion is kind of a literary snob. She'll be the mm -hmm. first to admit. And um, I think reading Michener in the late 60s would have been different from if you're reading him now. Um, although it's funny, when I, I was in Colorado in the late 70s and reading Centennial, and uh, there wasn't really such a stigma about it, I don't think. But then again, I was a, a, a teenager who didn't know all that much about the canon and what you were and weren't supposed to find acceptable. <laughs> yeah. yeah, for sure. Um, I was thinking uh, John Grisham or something like that. But um, yeah, Nicholas Sparks is a good one. My wife, Claire, who says hello, David, by the way, um, has a great story about Nicholas Sparks being punched in the face by a professor at Winthrop University that I'll let her share sometime. Um, but anyhow, uh, moving on, um, Erwin, who was reading that blues book in the cafe, wanted to write a dissertation on female roles as documented on country records from 1925 to 1935, but he couldn't get any faculty 
to sponsor his research. Um, David, were you able to glean anything about what this uh, dissertation would have included? I'm disappointed in the faculty because I want to read this dissertation right now. Oh, I think you'd be able to find uh, advisors for such a work. Yeah. Um, Rounder was always friendly towards women artists and they, you could say, probably did more than just about any other label in the folk. Um, in fact, when the IBMA uh, awards had a started up a female vocalist of the year category, mm -hmm. Rounder had that just locked down for well over a decade. I think it was something like the first 17 years it was a Rounder artist. And uh, pretty much every female artist of the modern era uh, that has made it into the Bluegrass Hall of Fame did some time on Rounder record. Mm -hmm. So... You know, it was it was a welcoming place to artists that were on the margins of what used to be deemed acceptable in that world. And uh, they did a lot to help get them out there. Absolutely. Um, David, another business question about Rounder Records. Um, when they were starting, when they were when they were young in the industry, uh, they ran into some interesting arrangements for distribution. Um, how important was distribution to Rounder Records' success? Oh, it was everything. Um, early on, they just didn't know how it worked. They uh, made a couple of records and then, okay, we got to get these into stores. And they went directly to stores and the store said, no, 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 we don't do this. You got to work with a distributor. And they said, what's that? And, you know, a distributor is a wholesaler. <clears throat> um, here in North Carolina, we've got um, Red Eye Distribution started up by a couple of guys who worked at Rounder Records in the 80s. So that's kind of where they earned it. So the Rounders in 1970 start going around to distributors and they can't find any distributors who will take them on either because they're this new untested label. Nobody's ever heard of them. They've got a couple of obscure acts that nobody knows who they are. So it seemed like they were stymied and going to be stuck with the selling records uh, on their own at festivals and things. And then they came up with kind of a lightning bolt of an idea, which was uh, to be a distributor themselves. And they created rounder distribution. They carried their own labels stuff, but also almost everybody else. Uh, other folk labels like Arhuli, County, uh, Folkways, uh, they carried hundreds and hundreds of labels at their peak. Uh, Rounder distribution was around until the late 1990s when the distribution field imploded, but they had a lot of very profitable years. It was a great deal of work to do that, but uh, that got them through some lean times. There were stretches in the Rounder history when they were more like a distribution company with a label on the side than the other way. Hmm. So, yeah. yeah, it was key. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much, David. Um, you write of popular musicians of the 60s keeping folk stylings in circulation, including the birds, the mamas and papas, and even the Grateful Dead. Why even the Grateful Dead? I find their earliest work, even before Working Man's Dead and American Beauty, to be uh, heavily influenced by folk and country. Oh, they absolutely are. Uh, I think even the Grateful Dead, meaning the image of them and the popular imagination is not that side of them. Mm -hmm. It's more the 22 minute long version of Dark Star. Mm -hmm. uh, for, for people who aren't part of the tribe necessarily, um, 
they're not going to think of the Grateful Dead as like an old time band. And yet, mm -hmm. you know, you still hear Friend of the Devil at folk festival picking circles to this day, 50 some years after they put it out. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. My friend Hank Smith at Beer and Banjos in uh, Raleigh there, oftentimes uh, we'll do a whole set of Grateful Dead covers. Go check them out if you're in North Carolina and you haven't yet. Um, David, uh, an interesting line from your book uh, that drew a distinction that I want to ask you about. What is the difference between a music fan and a music evangelist? Wow. And an evangelist. Well, fan is just an enthusiast, someone who likes a particular artist or song or album or what have you. An evangelist is someone who uh, wants to spread the word. Mm -hmm. uh, they go out evangelizing about it. Uh, they don't, they're not happy just listening to something. They got to get everybody else on board. With it too. And uh, the rounders, the three rounder founders were definitely that way. Uh, they love this music, but they weren't, uh, they were not content with merely listening to it. They were going to get everybody else they could into it as well. And that's the mindset they had. Yeah, absolutely. Um, David, finally, uh, and listeners, we barely touched upon the surface of this book. David, I'd like to have you uh, back in the on a future episode to talk about it some more. Uh, but I want to ask you a question about yourself and listeners. I suspect some of you are going to be exposed to David's work here for the first time. Uh, he's also written uh, several other uh, fantastic uh, books about music. But I want to ask you, David, what do you perceive your role as a documentarian of these scenes to be? And I'm talking about your past books as well. Do you like the founders of Rounder Records, see yourself as elevating what you enjoy to ensure that these artists and their music sticks around? You know, that's that's certainly a big part of it. Um, mm -hmm. But I think it's more just as a writer, documenting things like that is how I process and deal with things. You know, mm -hmm. uh, something happens to me or I witness something it's just natural to me to sit down at the computer and write about it. Mm -hmm. And um, I've, I've been able to write it out well enough to where other people are interested. So uh, it turned into a career. I mean, I feel like I'd be doing this even if I'd been an accountant or whatever. And in fact, I was an accounting major for a year in college, believe it or not. But uh, yeah, it's, it's very gratifying and rewarding, but uh, I've put a few things out that, have last lasted and that you know a part of the conversation like about music history in north carolina uh that's that's great to see it's all i could have hoped for absolutely well thank you so much david and thank you for writing this fantastic book listeners i've been speaking with david minconi author of oh didn't they ramble rounder records and the transformation of american roots music which is published by our friends at the university of north carolina press david thank you so much for joining me it's been a pleasure i appreciate it thank you once again i would like to thank david minconi for joining me copies of oh didn't they ramble can be ordered from www.explorebooksellers.com with free shipping for members of Explore More Plus. 
I would also like to thank our sponsors at Libro FM Audiobooks. Please navigate over to Libro.fm and enter the promo code BOOKIN, that's B-O-O-K-I-N, in the promo code space to get one free audiobook and support your favorite local independent bookstore in the process. My name is Jason Jefferies, and this has been Booking.